Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Hemp, a Virginia legend by Stephen Vincent Benet. This is a ballad, first uh, ballad style poem, first published in the Century magazine, January 1916. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read it. Please. Uh, it starts with, uh, I think it's four quarters, and the first section is called The Planting of the Hemp. Captain Hawk scourged clean the seas. Black is the gap below the plank. From the great north bank to the Caribbees. Down by the marsh the hemp grows rank. His fear was on the seaport towns. The weight of his hand held hard the downs. And merchants cursed him bitter and black. For a red flame in the seed fog's rack was all of their ships that might come back. For all he had one word alone, one clod of dirt in their faces thrown. The hemp that shall hang me is not grown. His name bestrode the seas like death. The waters trembled at his breath. This is the tale of how he fell, of the long sweep and the heavy swell, and the rope that dragged him down to hell. The fight was done, and the gutted ship, stripped like a shark that the seagulls strip, lurched blindly, eaten out with flame, back to the land where she came. A skimming horror, an eyeless shame. And Hawk stood upon the quarter deck, his quarter deck, and saw the sky and saw the wreck. Below a butt for sailors' jeers, white as the sky, when a white squall nears, huddled the crowd of prisoners. Over the bridge of the tottering plank, where the sea shook and the gulf yawned blank, they shrieked and struggled and dropped and sank. Pinioned arms and hands bound fast, one girl alone was left at last. Sir Henry Gaunt was a mighty lord. He sat in state at the council board. The governors were as naught to him, from one rim to the other rim. Of his great plantations flung out wide, like a purple cloak, was a full month's ride. Life and death in his white hands lay, and his only daughter stood at bay, trapped like a hare in the toils that day. He sat at wine in his gold and his lace, and far away in a bloody place, Hawk came near, and she covered her face. He rode in the fields, and the hunt was brave, and far away his daughter gave a shriek that the seas cried out to hear, and he could not see, and he could not save. Her white soul withered in the mire, as paper shrivels up in fire. And Hawk laughed, and he kissed her mouth, and her body he took for his desire. The Growing of the Hemp Sir Henry stood in the manor room, and his eyes were hard as gems in the gloom. And he said, Go dig me furrows five, where the green marsh creeps like a thing alive. There at its edge where the rushes thrive. And where the furrows rent the ground, he sowed the seed of the hemp around. And the blacks shrink back and are sore afraid at the furrows five that rib the glade and the voodoo work of the master's spade. For a cold wind blows from the marshland near, and the white things move and the things grow drear, and they chatter and crouch and are sick with fear. 
But down by the marsh where the gray slaves glean, the hemp sprouts up and the earth is seen, veiled with a tenuous mist of green. And Hawk still scourges the Caribbees, and many men kneel at his knees. Sir Henry sits in his house alone, and his eyes are hard and dull like stone. And the waves beat and the winds roar, and things are as they were before. And the days pass and the weeks pass, and nothing changes but the grass. But down where the fireflies are like eyes, and the damp shudder and the mists rise, the hemp stalks stand up toward the skies. And down from the poop, the pirate ship, a body falls, and the great sharks grip. Innocent, lovely, go in grace. At last there is peace upon your face. And Hawk laughs loud as the corpse is thrown. The hemp that shall hang me is not grown. Sir Henry's face is an iron mark, uh, is iron to mark, and he gazes ever in the dark. And the days pass, and the weeks pass, and the world is as it was. But down by the marsh the sickles gl beam, glitter on glitter, gleam on gleam, and the hemp falls down by the stagnant stream. And Hawk beats up from the Caribbees, swooping to pounce in the northern seas. Sir Henry sits sunk deep in his chair, and is white as, white as his hand is grown his hair. And the days pass, and the weeks pass, and the sand rolls from the hourglass. But down by the marsh in the blazing sun, the hemp is smoothed and twisted and spun, the rope made and the work done, the using of the hemp. Captain Hawk scourge clean the seas, black is the gap below the plank. From the great north bank to the Caribbees, down by the marsh, the hemp grows rank. He sailed in the broad Atlantic track, and the ships that saw him came not back. And once again, where the wide tides ran, he stooped to harry a merchant man. He bade her stop, ten guns spake true, from her hidden ports and a hidden crew, lacking his great ship through and through. Dazed and dumb with the sudden death, he scarce had time to draw a breath, before the grappling irons bit deep, and the boarders flew his crew like sheep. Hawk stood up, straight his breast to the steel, his cutlass made a bloody wheel. His cutlass made a wheel of flame, they shrank before him as he came. And the bodies fell in a choking crowd, and still he thundered out aloud, The hemp that shall hang me is not grown, they fled at last, he was left alone. Before his foe, Sir Henry stood, The hemp is grown, and my word made good. And the cutlass clanged with a hissing whirr, and the lashing blade of the rapier. Hawk roared and charged like a maddened buck, and as the cobra strikes, Sir Henry struck, pouring his life in a single thrust, and the cutlass shivered to sparks and dust. Sir Henry stood on the blood-stained deck, and set his foot on his foe's neck. Then from the hatch, where the rent's deck slope, where the dead roll and the wounded grope, he dragged the serpent of the rope. The sky was blue and the sea was still, the waves lapped softly hill on hill, and between one wave and another wave, the doomed man cries were little and shrill. The sea was blue, the sky was calm, the air dripped with a golden balm, like a wind-blown fruit between sea and sun, a black thing writhed at a yard arm. Slowly then, and awesomely, the ship sank and the gallows tree, and there was naught between sea and sun, Naught but the sun and the sky and the sea. But down by the marsh where the fever breeds, 
only the waters chuckle and pleads. For the hemp clings fast to the dead man's throat, and blind fate gathers back her seeds. What do you think? I I like reading it. You like reading it. <laughs> I, I do. I think um, the forced rhymes, I love forced rhymes so much. <laughs> when you when you make two things rhyme together when they actually don't, I, that just makes me happy. One of the things that I like about the prosody of this is that, in fact, it's, it is not a ballad. That no. It's a ballad. Well, it's a ballad in the sense that it's a narrative told in verse. But a traditional ballad has is told with quatrains that are um, iambic tetrameter alternating with iambic trimeter and either AB, AB or ABCB rhyme scheme. So mm-hmm. it's da 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 and that that ballad rhythm is standard it's very easy to tell stories in it they just work perfectly nicely and there are gazillions of them and that's of course the ballad form for english uh different different languages have different traditional rhyme schemes not only does does benet force some of the rhymes he forces the very rhythms that it doesn't come out to be a ballad so for instance the opening in the 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 planting of the hemp captain hawk scourged clean the seas black is the gap beneath the plank black is the gap beneath the plank from the great north bank to the Caribbees. Well, the word bank in the middle of the third line rhymes with the word plank at the end of the second line, mm-hmm. right? Down by the marsh, the hemp grows rank. So we get that three rhymes there, mm-hmm. plank, bank, plank, bank, and rank, where we would have expected only two with that ank sound. So there's more going on here. And in fact, um, the very next stanza, instead of having four four lines, which would be typical of a ballad, has five. Mm-hmm. His fear was on the seaport towns. The weight of his hand held hard the downs. And the merchant cursed him, bitter and black, for a red flame in the sea fog's rack was all their ships that might come back. So it really breaks down into a couplet and then well, a triplet. Mm-hmm. And when you think, oh, okay, he's switching to couplets, then no, it's not a couplet. Um, but then he gives us yet another triplet. For all we had, one word alone, one clod of dirt in their faces thrown, the hemp that shall hang me is not grown. So what what Benet is doing is continuing to show us that, well, this is how it's going to be. This will be the rhythm. This will be the rhyme. And then... It keeps not being the rhythm and it keeps not being the rhyme. It's something else. And yet the something else always we recognize retrospectively does rhyme, does complete the rhythm. And I would like to suggest to you, Jesse, that this idea of looking like we know how the world works, 
then finding out that the world doesn't work that way, but then ultimately finding out that there is an order in the world and that the poetic world will make that come out right. Mm. That's the story of what's going on here with the fates that the man who has the hubris to say the hemp that shall hang me is not grown by that hubris is sowing the seeds of that hemp. Mm-hmm. And he is, it's very Greek challenging fates that way. It's, it's, uh, I'm not sure what Greek thing I'm thinking of, but, uh, there's, it was, there was no man of woman born. Who's that? Maybe that's Macbeth. <laughs> uh, that, nope. That's Macbeth. But uh, right. there's also Odysseus who is, says his name is no man. But right. the, the story of the fates, remember, the, the traditional fates, there are the three sisters, uh, mm-hmm. one of whom um, takes takes the flax, uh, assuming that it's, it's a linen thread that they're talking about, takes the flax and... Um, spins it out and other of whom, I mean, cleans it out and another of whom spins it into thread and a third of whom cuts it, right? Atropos cuts it and she is the, the third of the fates who gives us the end of man's life. Well, in fact, what we have here is, um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the hemp being cleaned out and then woven into um, into uh, into thread, the thread that is uh, the rope. Yeah, the making of the hemp, that's right. Exactly. And so um, let's see, uh, it's, it's, it's on the last page. Um, the hemp, right, was the thread of the fates all along. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a this is a story about hubris. It's a story about order in the world. It appears to be disordered, but then it gets ordered again. And yet the fact that justice is served, it doesn't really it doesn't bring back that girl. I mean, she has been raped and murdered. Um, and Sir Henry manages to to hang the man to prove that the man's that Captain Hawks. Uh, statement is wrong because, in fact, um, the seeds have been planted by his very nature. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't make life good. It only makes it ordered. So this is a very sad, uh, tragic sense of what the world is. I, yeah. I, I'd like to point out as well that that Sir Henry could have killed the captain. Immediately. Right. With his sword. Exactly. Well, let's let's use the technical terms. He has a rapier. Right. Rapier. Yeah. To right. So. So Captain Hawk rapes. But Henry is rapier. Yeah. Right. That's that's one way. Well, you know, Benet is playing with the words a lot. Uh, The word downs, for instance, means Mm -hmm. means hills. Mm -hmm. But. We're told that the people of the Downs, that is the land nearby overlooking the seas, are held or oppressed by uh, Captain Hawk. So he's mm-hmm. holding the Downs down, 
right? That's you right. get both meanings there. This happens so often in this poem where we have an unusual construction making a word take more than one meaning or or work in more than one way. So I, I'm not joking when I say that that Captain Hawk is a rape rapes, but absolutely yeah. But what we're told is interesting. You just read it to us. He doesn't come in under Captain Hawk's guard and and kill him with the rapier. In fact, somehow the rapier, which is a thin needle like um, sword and resembles Sir Henry, who we are told will strike like a cobra. So he is a snake. He is allied with the serpent, which is the hemp rope that comes out from under the gangplanks. Right. The serpent, the long, thin thing, um, makes the cutlass, which is a broad sword, makes the cutlass shatter and, yeah. and go off in, in – it's, it's magical. It just goes off into pieces of light yeah. such that he, Henry, is able to capture the, the, uh, the, the pirate and thereby – pinion him right hold his arms down put ropes around them pinion him and hang him from the yard arm what he's done to everyone else and that pinion you know the word pinion it's another example here pinion means in this instance to hold in right to restrain the arms mm-hmm. but pinion in fact is a word for a wing and the verb right. to pinion means to clip the wings so as to keep birds from being able to fly away. It's what you do when you're training a falcon, for example. You keep it pinioned for a while until it gets used to doing what you tell it to do. Or a Captain Hawk. Exactly. 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 Now, the great scavenger of the seas, at least this is what was believed to be before we knew more about the life habits of the different animals. But at the time, this thing is published in 1916. The great scavenger of the seas is the shark. And and we are told initially that um, the shark, let me see if I can find the line. The fight was done and the gutted ship stripped like a shark the seagulls strip. So the first time we see shark in this poem, the shark itself is being cannibalized. Right. Right. And it's being cannibalized by creatures of the air. Though the creatures of the air, the seagulls, I, I mean, whenever you see seagulls from below, certainly they're white. Right? Mm-hmm. So we've got the purity of Sir Henry Gaunt's daughter. That ultimately, when all of society rises against the depredations of the hawk that flashes down from the sky, gets him. The shark may live for a while as a scavenger, but ultimately it's the creatures of the air, the spirit that will win. The fates will bring poetic justice. Things will be set right but it only means that they will be set right in a certain kind of order, not that the the loss will be restored. So what I'm trying to point to here with this imagery is that the fates, um, Greek mythology, we have the, the notion of nature itself 
with the conflict between the shark and and the seagulls, um, giving us what is a sense of poetic justice. And the, the small religious allusions having to do with the meaning of the the snake uh, in the garden um, also let us know that even in the religious sense, there is a certain kind of legitimate retribution. The yard arm from which Captain Hawk uh, hangs is sort of an inversion of the crucifix. Now, remind you know anybody who's listening to us that a yard arm is um, that cross beam uh, that goes at right angles to the mast to hold the sail up, right? The lower yard arm and the upper yard arm to which the sail is attached to keep it square into the, and then you can aim it into the wind. So if you think of the yard arm as crossing the mast, the yard arm being hanged from the yard arm is kind of a recollection of the crucifixion. Now, in the real crucifixion, according to traditional Christian mythology um, or belief, I don't mean to be uh, evaluative here, there is the father, the son, and then the white dove that goes up the Holy Spirit. And we see that in medieval iconography all the time, except this fellow, this pirate, he's not white. He's dun colored. He's brown. He is the hawk. He doesn't come down to save humanity, he comes down to prey on them. Not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. But the white birds come down and pick him clean. Um, So there is, in a Christian religious way, in an ancient mythological way, and even in the nature symbolism, the idea that uh, what you are will determine what your fate is, that you, by your actions, will sow the seeds of your own fate. And in this case, that's what we get. No no help for the woman, but an incredibly important lesson for us. I, I, I like, um, you made me think about, it, it is a sad um, sort of revenge because Gaunt gets his revenge, gets gets a doesn't stab him, murder him. He executes him in the traditional way, with his ship sinking into the sea, just as it as the ship at the beginning of the story is burning back towards shore. There's a symmetry there, um, but Gaunt he's not a nice guy. He's he's um, He's a rich landowner who, what, it takes two weeks to ride across his land? A month. A month to ride across his land. Um, And the governors are as nothing to him, right? The governors were as not to him from one rim to the other rim. It's like he owns the United States, you know? Yeah. Um, And and so uh, when we get some casual, you know, slaves go do this, right? Go and dig me furrows five where the green marsh creeps like a thing alive. And there at the edge where the rushes thrive and down to the marsh go the native, uh, not the natives, the, the slaves. And it says, and the blacks shrink back and are sore afraid at the furrows five. Um, isn't f- far five fathoms? How's it go? 
Five fathoms yeah. deep. Five is a traditional right. word, number four, for actually spiritual harmony in the universe. It works yeah. in in uh, Christianity as well as a number of other uh, religions. This is, I think, maybe my favorite stanza because it goes, And the blacks shrink back and, the, uh, and are sore afraid at the furrows five that rib that glade. The ribs, we're going to be getting the skeleton. And the voodoo work of the master's spade. So he has them go, you know, plow the land, but he sows the seeds. He covers up those little seeds, right? It's his vengeance. Um, Then the wind blows and then we get the slaves again, but they're no longer black. It says, but down by the marsh where the gray slaves glean, the hemp sprouts up and the earth is seen, veiled with a tenuous mist of green. That, where's this green mist coming from? It's like evil magic, right? He's casting a, a voodoo spell on on these seeds so that they will eventually grow to the hemp that does his evil plan. He he says, um, how does he say? Uh, the my promise um, here says the hemp is grown. My word made good. We never saw him make that promise. It's off screen, right? Right. But we know uh, eventually, the, uh, you know, when that merchant man opens up its hidden ports and hidden guns, um, that he's got an evil plan. Well, an underhanded plan to get back at the at the monster that's that's holding hard the downs. Who else is holding hard the downs? Right. Right. Indeed, indeed. Uh, that part of what's going on at the very deepest level is that um, here in 1916, Benet, who is the uh, the uh, scion of a military family, um, his grandfather is in fact a general, um, is recognizing that that physical force is in the uh, service of economic gain, capitalism, if you like. Um, Sir Henry Gaunt has the capital. Uh, it's Sir Henry Gaunt. Mm-hmm. So this must be before the American Revolution. Yep. This is not a nice guy. No. In fact, it's interesting. Again, double words. That, that stanza that you just read to us, it begins with where the furrows rent the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, rent can be the past tense of to rent, but rent is also how you make money out of land, right? You rent the ground. Mm-hmm. Sir Henry Gaunt doesn't care for the governors and is a member of the council doesn't bother him one way or the other to show up for it because he has all of this stuff. And the boat, the ship that he sends out after the captain isn't a galleon. It isn't a frigate. It's a right. merchant man, yep. right? So the merchant man looks like fat prey, but in fact, the merchant man is even more violent, but in a hidden way, than the pirate. Mm-hmm. So it is, in fact, just fate that the pirate gets hanged. But perhaps it is also an American might think, after the revolution, just fate that a an oppressive colonizer who cares not for his fellows and the government of the territory 
also meets his fate. What he's lost, in fact, is the possibility for succession. He's lost his most prized possession. But a girl, a woman, shouldn't be a possession. The blacks understand this. You know, when I first saw that line that you read to us and the blacks shrink back and are so afraid, I thought, hmm, that sounds an awful lot like the stereotypical notion of uh, African-Americans as um, as childlike. And, ooh, they're so scared. Mm. But in fact, when I thought about what you realized and, and put into your reading, that this is a voodoo act on the part of Sir Henry. Mm-hmm. These blacks, they get it. The voodoo is their religion. It comes up from Haiti, a place where the blacks, in fact, gained their own freedom long before they gained it in the United States. These blacks see what's going on and they see the the awesome power and shrink back from it, which is not in any way looking down at them. This is what we see in Psalm 114 when the 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 mountains leap like rams and the hills jump away like lambs in the face of the miracles that bring the Hebrews out of Israel. I mean, out of Egypt, right? That shrinking away, that fear of the awe-inspiring power is something that's part of Christianity and Judaism as well as it is of voodoo. So do you see this incredible, I'm sorry to say this, it may offend some people, but that stanza then ends and the voodoo work of the master's spade. Mm. Well, it turns out that that slang use of the word spade, meaning a black person, is attributed in the Oxford English Dictionary at least as far back as 1920. And this is 1916. I think that uh, one understands here that the master himself is wielding voodoo power, just as you had suggested. But the gray slaves that glean around the marsh It turns out the gray slaves aren't just a whitening of black slaves. It turns out that gray slaves was the term that was used in the the United States for slaves that fought on the side of the Confederacy during the Civil War. Mm. So down by the marsh where the gray slaves glean, the hemp sprouts up and the earth is seen, even though this all takes place before the Civil War, uh, in fact, before the Revolution, which is almost 100 years before that, um, what we see here is that the, the blacks are only allowed to get a pittance of what's available of the richness Exactly. Exactly. They are still slaves. They are slaves working in the service of of masters. Um, And in this point, perhaps happy to have it. And I think Benet in a post-Civil War time, um, having come from a military family, he understands that these people should have had more. This is a critique of the oppression of power, whether it's raw power like Captain Hawk, the single guy who can plummet out of the sky, or it's the economic power that uh, that can be gotten through the courts and through inheritance, as Sir Henry does. But either way, these are contrasted with uh, the beauty and innocence of that daughter 
And the suggestion is that in the long run, beauty will will bring order back to the world, but it will not make things right. We live in a fallen world. Jesus may have died for our sins, but crucifying, hanging, sir, hanging Captain Hawk will not save us. What we need to do is think about how we behave. This is a legend with real meaning for us. But there's always more to say. 